When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. UFC returns this weekend on pay-per-view. Returns to the city of Miami. You wearing the lower of my shirt? Yes, where is it at? Am I fucking blind? Right there. Yes. Wow, that's low now. Right? Jesus, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's an overshot, right? It doesn't seem that way. Okay. Shut up. Come on here, shirtless. This is very pro MMA fighter. Never a dull moment here on CBS Sports HQ. It is a welterweight bout between Burns and Jorge Masvidal. Only one of us post 40 has nice apps. <laughs> Morning Combat's tour of South Florida would not be complete without a room service diary sit-down with our own in-house Hall of Fame champion, Sugar Rashad Evans. It's Brian Campbell. It's Luke Thomas. It's RSD here on the grounds of CBS Sports in Fort Lauderdale. But our guy is back in the seat. Pour some sugar on me <laughs> in the name of love. Do you know that song was actually about... Sex? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sugar Rashad, I mean, I've done a podcast with you for years. I know these great stories, but we appreciate you sitting down with us to tell a few of those because you've had and are still having as a broadcaster an ayahuasca truther one hell of a career. My <laughs> Absolutely, man. I've been still going, uh, you know, just enjoying the ride. And, and that's been, you know, my, my, my mantra for the second half of my uh, life, or I should say second phase of my life is just enjoy it, enjoy the process. I feel like a lot of times as an athlete, I spent too much time worrying about the end result, the end result to the point where I really missed a lot of the ride along the way because I'm too busy looking far ahead. I feel like the same kind of way. I, I just want to get right to it if I can. Can we talk drugs? Let's do it. That's good. You're good. like you're like if you could produce a toad right now. I, I want to be I want to be dead serious. I want to have I want to have an adult conversation with all this, right. and I mean this in all sincerity. I will tell you that I have had I've done a lot of reading on this, and like not I've never experimented in the way that you have, but I certainly in no way bash it or think little of it. In fact, I think quite good of it. When did you realize? And I'm being dead serious. When did you realize that there were certain kinds of experiences, certain kinds of drugs, and the the combination of the two? that could change the way you thought about yourself in a helpful and serious way? You know, it uh, really came to me um, when I did the toad. When I did 5-MEO-DMT in 2018, uh, it was after I lost a fight with Anthony Smith, and I've dabbled with it and played with, you know, mushrooms, psychedelic mushrooms at the time, but it didn't quite, I'd never had that breakthrough, right? You have, they say you have a breakthrough when you just kind of, like, crash through what you understand consciousness to be and you start to see things differently and when i did the toad which is a five meo dmt secreted from the back of the sonoran desert toad that just completely changed everything it was um it was almost as if like i woke up in the middle of my life okay so let's take a step back 
what prompted you to try that? Who helped you? Like, walk me through how you yeah. went from, like, I don't know anything about this to now I'm doing this toad. So I was, towards the end of my career, I struggled. I lost five fights in a row. You guys know this. And that damn struggle. Damn Sam Alvey. I mean, damn, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sam Alvey every time. Yeah. Yeah. Dan, yes. Dan, damn Sam Alvey did. Uh, but, I mean, that's part of the journey that brought me to it, just not being able to have that breakthrough for myself um, and not come from that place of competing. Because for me, when I was competing at those times, I was like, it was therapy for me. But then it the started- The fight itself? The fight itself. Fighting was just, it was therapy. It was how I worked out you know, the issues that I had in my life, but there was a disconnect and I couldn't figure it out. So towards the end of my career, I started to look for answers. And the guy that I knew was like, I think I know something that might help you. Mm. And I was like, hmm, were tell you, me were more. Were you skeptical? I was skeptical. I was skeptical because I didn't think that anything could top any of the experience that I had. And I didn't really think that psychedelics were going to do it, you know. Um, so I was like, all right, I'll try it. And when I tried it, it was. Um, Where was this? It was in Colorado. It was, okay, it was in the United States. Yeah, it was okay. in the United States. It was in Colorado um, in, in like a cabin in the mountains. And was this like, a, you know how Aaron Rodgers did like the. He did yeah. the darkness it, retreat. Was this like a retreat where they take people who are interested in some kind of experience? And it's then, all part of Joshua Fabia's uh, camp. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but I'm serious. Like, what was the process? Like, what was the setting? I guess is what I'm so asking. So the the setting was um, it was a group of friends. It was probably about uh, about ten of us, and we got a shaman, and um, you know we we went into my friend's cabin, and he had um, a cabin with some nice property in the mountains, and we just went outside, found a place, and we just, you know, explored, explored our consciousness. And I, I, I was never the same ever since. Well, oh. we, know, we know now how much uh, experimental drugs, psychedelic drugs can be used to combat PTSD and so many great things. Therapy. In, in the mental health field, it's now opening up new things. I think as is marijuana in a lot of ways. Ketamine, ketamine you can do it now too. What, what sort of, I, I mean, look, professional fighting, is not easy. You were able to become UFC led heavyweight champion. You are in the UFC Hall of Fame. You've still got a great career in the sport as a broadcaster, coach, mentor, all that. But like, is this life trauma? Is this trauma from the sport that led you to something here? Uh, I would say a little bit of both. I would say a little bit of both. And I would say, you know, it's more of life trauma because the trauma in fighting, yeah, it's trauma getting disappointed and stuff like that. But it was, it was more of the life trauma that, I, that I've had since, you know, growing up and not you know, I use fighting to deal with those issues a lot of times, but then fighting was not a big enough stick. And to say, and all honestly speaking, um, I kind of solved a lot of those problems just through fighting, you know? So I worked through a lot of those problems, but I felt as if like the more damage I was doing as I became this fighter who the world knew me as kind of caused more trauma. You know, I got divorced. Um, out of the house with my two kids that I had my wife with, you know, living in Florida, they live in Illinois, not being able to be the father that I want to be to them. You know, those are the kind of things that was eating at me at the end of the day, because no matter how successful I was, I failed. I failed in that aspect and that's the stain that you can't wipe away. And it's something that for me, it hurt me at such a level because I was a product of, of a divorce. Mm. And I knew what that meant for me growing up, you know, having an estranged relationship with my father. So I was kind of hurting the fact that I did the same thing to my kids. And um, it was hard to deal with. It was hard to deal with. But that was kind of some of the trauma that 
living the lifestyle. Remember I talk about, you know, when you get to a certain level in a fight game, you start living a certain lifestyle. You start going to the parties, you start, you know, hooking up with the girls, you, you know, you start, you know, doing the drugs and all the other things that come along with just living. And at first it's great. At first it's great and it's the best thing he, ever. He would not know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but at first it is awesome. It's the best thing ever. And you're like, man, I wish I can do this forever. But then you start doing it and then you realize that it's not so great. And you can get so mentally convoluted, you lose your way. Okay, so help me understand in a basic way. What's the expression? Talk to me like I'm five, right? Tell me like I'm mansplain. Five. Man, mansplain to mansplain me. Mansplain it. But uh, hi, ayahuasca explained. Tell me in the in the simplest terms what the trip was like, and a little bit how long it lasted. And also on the other side, I want you to tell me the first thing that occurred to you in terms of like the clarity and and uh, the understanding that it provided. Yeah. So um, when you do this medicine, you know you sit down with a shaman, and you know the medicine itself, it's it's secretions from the back, the toad, uh, from the toad. So it's like they milk the gland and they pop it and it's on a glass and they scrape it and it looks like fish scales. So you smoke that and when you smoke it, you feel like you died. You feel like you just died and the first thing you probably say to yourself is, man, I just killed myself, which I did say. But then there was this moment where it all became clear to me. It all became like, waking up from a dream, being in a strange environment, being like having to piece together everything that, you know, how you get there, what's your name and everything like that. It became like one of those moments. And I started to remember being in this place. It was this place of just the most amazing bright light, almost as if I was in the sun. And then there was this feeling of love that just kind of almost took the, feel, like the breath away from me. And then there was this feeling of just completeness and of there was nothing left to be done. Everything was okay. Everything was gonna be okay. And everything has always been okay. And there was just yes. this realization of just kind of like, like my consciousness, consciousness expanded to the point where it almost felt as if like this experience is nothing but a dream. So I'm in this state and I'm in there for like 17 minutes. And I'm going through just like the gamut of emotions, just riding this wave and and a lot of it is so incomprehensible because this place that i was at it was nothing like anything here because there was it's a non-dual experience meaning there's not me and anything else it's only me but i'm everything and nothing all at the same time and it's it was the most mind-boggling thing so as i'm starting to come out of it 17 minutes later I remember this feeling of just like, like my heart being ripped out. And it felt as if like I was a little kid and my mom just walked out the door and I'm crying and I'm screaming. I'm like, please don't go, please don't go. And then I wake up and I'm looking at the sky and it's very pixelated and grainy, almost as if like it's a TV, like it's some kind of video game and it's very pixelated and grainy. And then it just all starts to come together very clear. And um, at that moment, I woke up and I just started crying. And I cried because I, didn't, I couldn't believe how complicated I made life. Like, like everything you were striving for 
was almost bull BS or worthless. And, and, and this is what, you know, I had, a, I had a similar spiritual breakthrough when I was 25 that didn't involve drugs, but was that physically, mentally, that exact experience. And it was quick and just like that, my life was changed. I was a different person. I knew the truths about a lot of things that had been, you know, bothering me and led to, to bad things. And it was just like, oh, like the jolt of, yeah. oh, this is how it really, life is really. Yeah. You know? And, and I, I appreciate you sharing it at this level because I knew you before and I know you now and you're always a great guy, but it's such a marked difference in, you're one of my favorite people in this, in this game, in this industry. And, you know, we always talk about there's sometimes not a lot of great people in this game and no, in this not. industry. This man is like blood in one of those. Um, I, I think that is incredible that you walk that out and experience. But, I, but I'm curious about like what it did in terms, it sounds like it changed a lot of your perspective, but did it change your actions subsequently? It ended up changing my actions because you, know, um, you are what you think. And when you're not thinking the same way, your actions will inevitably change. And, and that's what happened to me. Like things that didn't serve me anymore just fell away as if like, I never did them before. I never had interest before. One was, was drinking alcohol. You know, I stopped drinking alcohol. Not that I think alcohol is bad, but for me, it, it led me to a place where I was doing a lot of bad things in a cyclical behavior that kind of led me in, in depression and everything else like that. So I just stopped doing it. And it wasn't like I was like, okay, I'm going to stop doing it. Like I couldn't stomach drinking alcohol no more. Like when I drink alcohol, I'll take a sip and I'll violently throw up. It was like my body said, no more. Mm -hmm. And the same thing was for, um, for like, you know, I used to be, I used to be a ladies man in a sense, you know what I'm <laughs> I mean, for lack of better words, I, 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 mean, it, I, I was it. a ladies man. You know, I had a, I had a, I had a couple of here and there. Had some you know, good years, huh? Had some good years, you know. <laughs> I won't say anything to incriminate myself, you know, but, you know, uh, you know, I had some good times. Um, but once I had that experience, I could no longer do that anymore. It was just to the point where I was like, it just, it just it fell away from me. I just had no interest in it anymore. And I had a bunch of different things start to happen to me like that, even stop eating meat. Yeah, you told me that it was, it was it, literally yeah. like night and day. And, and I, we always say you're in such incredible shape and you know, you could, you look like you could get back in there if you ever wanted to again. And you recently did, congratulations for that Eagle FC win. But like you couldn't even stomach the idea of meat ever again, right? Just no, like that. No, not, not even, not even, no, I, I never craved it again. Even when I smell it sometimes, I'm kind of like, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't make me hungry. You know how like you smell meat or something when you're like hungry, like, man, yeah, like yeah. that doesn't make me hungry. Okay, but here's my question then. Imagine you had done that experience before the Ultimate Fighter. You wouldn't be the Rashad Evans that we knew today. It sounds like, no. it sounds like, I mean, I often wonder about this, like how many guys yeah. get into fighting because... They've just got unresolved issues, yeah. you know. I would you wouldn't you wouldn't have fought, would you? No, I don't know if I would have fought. You know, I, and and I came back to fight in Eagle FC because of the fact that something happened to me once I did the medicine that allowed me to compete again from a place which I stopped competing from, and that was the fun aspect. Mm. I wasn't having any fun anymore. I wasn't enjoying the process anymore. I wasn't enjoying the mental games that I played with myself along the way to make it to a fight. You know, like say, okay, if I don't run, you know, 10 times up the street and then sprint five afterwards, then I'm not going to win this fight. And, that, and that's the kind of game that I would play with myself, but it was just for fun, you know? And I would think along the way, me having my arms raised, I started doing that again. So 
it made me enjoy the process more and made me um, understand that to be able to express myself like this and to be able to have a chance to fight is a gift. I started looking at everything as a gift, like, oh man, I'm so lucky I get to do it. So it made me want to fight in that aspect, but I don't know if it would have been my truest expression to, to fight mm. because the fact that I've, I've got such a huge emotional block off me. You know, when I was fighting, I had such a chip on my shoulder. I had such a mindset where I was uncivilized. You know, I had the uncivilized mindset. And, um, you know, they, they say it feels as if like I, I became a little too civilized during my career towards the end. I've seen that from certain fighters. I mean, yeah. you mentioned the religious awakening, but I, and I, I can't tell if it's a chicken or an egg kind of thing. You see fighters get a little bit towards the end of their career, and sometimes I've seen, like, they get a little bit more religiously observant, whichever version of that they care for. And I can't tell if they, are they going to that because they, something has changed or because um, in finding that, it, 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 it not, hum, not humbles them in, the, in a bad sense, but actually in the good sense. Yeah. I can never tell which situation, but you often see towards the end people finding these kinds of like meaningful connections to the world a little bit. Yeah, it, it changes a lot of things. Like I, the way I put it is the fact that like when I was on top and I was doing my thing, fighting was the most important thing in my life. And then life was just extra on the outside, but everything was all about fighting. But then it got to the point where once I got injured a couple of times, life started taking pre precedent and then my training and my fighting became something that I added on afterwards. So it became more of an after effect. But when you're in a game like fighting, you got to be married to it. You got to be married to this game. That has to be your wife. That has to be your mistress. That has to be what you go to sleep thinking about. You know, it has to be such a part of your fabric because you're going against guys and gals who have that mindset. That mindset is they're, they're, they're so ambitious, they're so hungry for it, and they think about those things naturally. So if you're not thinking like that, then you're gonna get passed up. That's, I, lo I love when you break down the mindset of the fighter. And just so you know, this actually, these cameras aren't even on. This is an intervention. We've got toads waiting. <laughs> I got the 2013 Vitor needle ready. Okay, all right, we're gonna turn this life around, you know? I could use some help. Yeah. I could use some help. Uh, Rashad, to get to that life change and all, um, you built a hell of a career. But I got to say, in how people look at, at you now and talk about you, you got this like Uncle Rashad vibe. You're like, like a, you know, if this was pro wrestling, you're like one of the good guys. People are like, yeah, that's Rashad. Like, do you kind of like being that combination of like, I don't know, to the UFC, they must look at you as, you know, Hall of Famer, former yeah. champion, but you've always been charismatic. You've always been bubbly. Fans, like, they love him some, Rashad. And are you happy with that sort of way people look at you now? I truly am. Um, and I never really knew how I was going to be taken by the fans, especially from the way I started. You know, remember Rampage? Boo that man! And everybody would boo like crazy. But I was booed I remember Matt Hughes getting mad at you for showboating on the Ultimate Yeah, Fighter. I was booed for the longest time. And people hated me for the longest time. But it's good to see that, that turnaround. It's good to feel that appreciation. It's good to get your flowers. And... When I became Hall of Fame, that's something I didn't expect to, to hit me right here, right? It hit, me, it hit me in the heart where I didn't feel that or I didn't think that it would prior. And it was all about just everybody just let me know how much they appreciated me. And it, and it really made me feel as if no matter how bad I feel things got in my mind in my career, 
I never left their hearts. They still had love for me. And it, and it really made it worth it in another level for myself, you know? I can believe it. When you look back at your, I guess your career in general, but certainly your UFC run, let's talk about the good stuff, right? Yeah. Like what, yeah. okay, winning the title probably means the most, but I guess I'm wondering like, is there something other than that that stands out to you as a moment that you're like really proud of or just just felt so good? You know, it's, it's the, the title was one thing, but it was, it was beating Chuck Liddell, you know? And then not even so much for the knockout, but it was just me overcoming myself. That was the first time that I've overcame myself to the point where I, I quieted that voice in my mind that brought the doubt to the table that was super afraid and kind of like, you know, like I, I could be like that. Sometimes I wouldn't even eat. I'll be so nervous that I wouldn't even eat. Greg Jackson or Mike Winklejohn would be like, dude, you gotta eat something before you go down and fight. And I'm like, I'm just not hungry. You know, they, there was a thing about they would have to make me eat a little bit every hour because I wouldn't eat anything. I was famous for that. So I would let my nerves get the best of me. But for that fight, it just came together. And, you know, that was the Randy Couture talk when he gave me the talk, like, yo, you got to just accept the worst outcome. You got to make friends with the this worst outcome. This was the outcome. night before you fought the Chuck Liddell before, in Atlanta, correct? Yeah, before, the night before I fought Chuck Liddell in Atlanta, I was so nervous and I pushed the nerves away, but then... It got to me at Wayne's. I'm looking in his eyes, and Chuck was looking crazy <laughs> as hell. So I'm like, oh, my God, he's going to kill me tomorrow. What did I get myself into, right? And uh, it started to occur to me why everybody was giving me that look every single time I got, you know, I told him I had to fight Chuck Liddell. Like, oh, okay, good luck, you know? I was starting to feel that feeling, so I had got so nervous to the point where I hit up Randy Couture, and he happened to be one floor below me, and I went to his room, and I'm like, oh, Randy, I'm... Man, I'm scared, man, I'm scared. <laughs> and I'm flailing about on this bed and Randy's just cool and calm as ever. He's like he's laughing a little bit. He's like, all right, you know, the problem is you just got to make friends with the worst outcome. You know, and I was in a locker room, dressing room with Randy Couture when he got separated from consciousness with Chuck Liddell. So I'm kind of like, yo, he knocked out my guy, you know? So I'm, I was a little nervous, but when he told me that, just free myself and let me, you know, make friends the worst outcome. That night I stayed in the mirror. I was in the mirror. I was like just cussing myself out like, I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. And I was not, not afraid of anything. Just like saying that over and over to myself too. I started to believe it. And then when I went out there the next day to fight, I was so hyped up that I forgot my jock strap. No worries. No worries. I had a teammate on the card, Nate Marquardt. He just fought two fights before. And I wore his wet jock strap out there. <laughs> That's so not glamorous. Wet, That's so... wet, nasty. Wait, is it the same size? I mean, I don't know how it this was, works. It was a little yeah. tight. It was like... <laughs> I heard what Chubb said about him. I've heard that. It, it... Oh, I've heard that. <laughs> heard it, okay. You heard him say that too, didn't you? Yeah, yes. I've, heard, I've heard it. I've heard it. I've heard it. But yeah, I wore that dirty jock strap. And um, that was part of the process too, because that's another thing. It's about letting go. And I figured out, like, whenever I competed at my best, it was when I was able to let go the most. Yeah. And, and that's that a life was, lesson. It's, you know, yeah. it's, it's hard to maintain at that level, but God, you maintained it that night. I almost think that's in a weird way, like, that, I mean, that's your best win. I mean, I know you won the championship yeah. in the next fight, you won the ultimate fighter. Like, you've done a lot of good stuff. You did a million pay per view buys with Rampage. I mean, you fought John Jones and hurt him late, and we'll get to that. But that night, it may have just been where you were the best version you ever could have been. 
well, you like violently knocked out the baddest man we had ever seen in the history of the sport. And it, I'll never forget that sound, dude. Do you remember watching that live? Do I remember watching it live? I had buddies of mine who went to that show. They drove from D.C. to Atlanta, and they wanted me to go. I couldn't. I was at work. And uh, and I remember they were big Chuck Liddell fans. And uh, I, I had, I, for what it's worth, I was like, oh, Rashad's going to win this one. I had no. My man. Yeah. My man. I had no. But I did not know it was going to go the way that it actually went, where you just, here's what I'll never forget. And I want to get your impression about this. I remember after you hit him, the thing that st- stuck out to me the most, and you don't actually see it that much these days, but I'll never forget, you hit him with that shot, he goes face down, and you could have heard, except for your, I think it was your wife at the time, yeah. you could have heard a fucking pin drop. Yeah. I mean, Atlanta was, <gasps> they could not believe what they were looking at. And even I was like, and then, and then I remember this, Rashad, I don't think I don't remember this, the old Red Fox bit. big one of and I was like, wow, because it took you a second, right? You didn't yeah. celebrate right right away. No. It wasn't like you were like, yeah, you know, no. it took you a second. No, I want, so I, I hit him and I wanted to go over and check and check on him. But because of the state he was in, they wanted to keep the cameras away. So when they were like, I went over to him, they pushed me away. Like, no, 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 go. So they had the cameras on me. So I was like, that's why I did this first. I was like, I don't know what to do. And I was like, I'm, I'm, I can't believe it, you know? Have you ever run into Chuck Liddell like years later and been like, um, sorry about that, by the way? Uh, Me and Chuck Liddell are actually good friends, man. I've hung out with Chuck many times and we've we've had uh, many great parties and many great party experiences together. Uh, Chuck is probably one of the best guys in the sport. You know, he's a, a great guy, a great friend of mine. And I kind of I kind of feel bad, though. You know, I kind of feel bad like. I don't like talking about like if somebody see us together and they're like, oh man, when you fought Chuck and Chuck's right next to him, I was like, yeah, it's a little weird. Well, he had already been knocked out by Rampage, but he was still that dude in that fight. For sure. And I think you took a lot of what was left. You yeah, know what I mean, and I know he still it didn't even beat uh, beat Vandalay after that. Yeah. And, and after also, that, like, yeah. yeah, like Rampage knocked him out, but it wasn't the way that he knocked him out. Uh, so, so we know what that did to sort of slide what he had built. But did you? Like, how quickly did you realize that that was going to be, like, forget career-changing, like, like life-changing moment? Like, yeah. Like, that that knockout came just as the sport was peeking through yeah. on Sports Illustrated cover, like, largely because of Chuck and then Rampage. But it's, like, that was still a large moment in the building of the brand at the same time. Like, did you know instantly, like, oh, it's never going to be the same now? I knew it wasn't going to be the same the minute I walked out the tunnel. The song I came out to was called Immortal Tech. It was Immortal Technique. Point of no return. I love that song. And in that song, he says, the place that I'm from doesn't exist anymore. And I knew no matter what happened that night, my life would never be the same. I'll either be the guy who beat Chuck Liddell or the guy who got humiliated by Chuck Liddell. But I was never going to be the guy who was before I walked out. I was never going to be that guy again. So that was another thing for me to say, I got to let go. And it was all about, I'm letting go. Whatever happens, happens. And there's something so beautiful and so peaceful about truly letting go. It's almost as if like I would visualize myself just like just doing a a back dive, just falling off a cliff and just allowing myself to just whatever happens, happens. I would mentally visualize myself doing that over and over again to just like just let go and let let it happen. And did they give you a paper bag bonus in the back too? That was, was like Oh, back in the yeah, yeah. So uh the next morning. 
See, they used to take care of us back in the day. Back in the day, man, they'll come through with these backroom bonuses. That now you just so get hollow their head bottles. Yeah, yeah. They came in, cut me a check for 375K Oof. at breakfast the next day. And I, I feel was good. like, golly, I'd never seen that kind of money before. And the crazy part about it was before that fight happened, I took a new contract signing and I didn't want to sign it. And I was like, I don't want to sign this. I think I'm worth more. And they said, listen, because I was supposed to fight him in London, but it didn't happen because we didn't work out a deal. So they said, just sign a contract. And if you win this fight, we'll make it right. So I'm like, all right, we'll see. And after I won the fight, I was like, are they going to make it right? And you know what? They damn sure did make it right. Damn right. They, and, damn, and they, they kept their word, man. That obviously was like a life-changing moment financially, star-wise. Do you look back now? I mean, you had to have blown a certain amount of that check on like, what would we do if we got <laughs> super famous and rich tomorrow? We'd buy something really stupid that we would regret instantly, right? Delta 8s. Well, a lot of Delta 8s. But you know what they always say? Like, if you own a boat, the best day of boat ownership is the day you buy it and the day yeah, you yeah. sell it. What did you buy looking back? They're like, oh. Um, I bought a house. I bought it's a not house. A bad investment. Yeah, yeah, I bought a house, man, uh, in Illinois, and I, I didn't, I didn't go crazy with it. Just, uh, you know, um, just bought a house with it. Did, did you make the kind of money you want to make? And what I mean by that is, um, everyone always wants to make more. But were you satisfied in the end that, like, hey, I made X amount in a fighting career at this time in the sport? Because obviously now it's a little bit different. Yeah, I made, I made. Uh, a great amount of money, you know, considering the time that it was, you know, there's, um, you know, I've, you know, they've, they've written me checks for, you know, after the, uh, the rampage fight for like, you know, like 1.5 million on top of what I was already getting paid, you know? So they, they looked out, man. They, they've always, and, and that's the thing, like, there's this thing with the UFC where, you know, they're known for not paying their fighters and stuff, but, they went above and beyond for me at the time when they, they really didn't have to, you know, because a contract was a contract, but they always looked out and gave me more. I definitely feel like um, there are guys that they take care of. Yeah. Right? You, you have to be in that inner circle. Oh, I mean, you got to be part of the family. Listen, you got to be part of the family. Come on, what are you doing? Huh? Did, did, the, did the money make you feel like you were part of the inner circle? Like from UFC? Yeah. Or, or was it the way that they paid you? Like, great knockout, here's a fat check or it's, something. It's, yeah, it's, it's the, the backroom bonuses, but it's just the way, the way that they, they treat me. You know, they always include me. They, you know, um, they've always uh, made me part of the team. You know, Lorenzo Fertitta is the one who bought me my first expensive suits at Tom Ford. He went and bought like five of them for That's me. Nice. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, you know, he came and picked me up and we had a great day together. And, you know, he showed me what to get, his style and what I should wear. And he didn't have to do that. But, but, but it was, you know, they looked out. All right, all right. Now, look, not the first champion, but is he the first African-American star in UFC history? Because, See, what, because, because people forget that, like, you did million pay-per-view buys. You had a few pay-per-views in a row where that, like, you yeah. needed a title with Rampage. I mean, you had yeah. some I wonder how you man. feel about that, because there were some interesting names before. Maybe they were not on your level, but there were some, like, real pioneers. I, I honestly count Shoney Carter a little bit yeah. in that role. Um, obviously, uh, Eugene Jackson was in that role. Kevin Jackson. Yeah, there were some other figures. Obviously, Rampage was around. Kevin Randleman early Kevin, made a big Kevin Randleman, and who can forget the monster Kevin Randleman? But still, you feel like do you feel like you played a pretty big role? Because here's the thing, dude: we go to boxing fights, yeah, and there's like the only white people there are us. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we go to an MMA fight, and it's like the only black people there are like the fighters. Yeah, I'm exaggerating in either yeah. direction, but you know no, what I'm saying? No, I know exactly what you're saying. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I, I um, definitely 
was one of the pioneer, uh, you know, black athletes. But I felt as if like my success and what I was able to bring to the table was piggybacked off of the, the work that each and every single one of those fighters did. You know, they kept, you know, kind of helped me pave the way. I was close with Shoney and those guys all the way up until, you know, for, for my whole my whole career. And they would, you know, kind of give me give me the lessons, you know, because there are some taxes that you got to pay. You know, there's some tax that you got to pay. And people would say some crazy stuff to me, like, you know, the N-word. And, you know, they would they would email in me. In person? No, no, not not in person. Not in person. They are like, you know, the, on social media. Yeah. On social media, yeah. they are just, you know, curse me out and, you know, say the most vile things ever. But it, it's, all, it's all part of it. And um, I always... I always wanted to be looked at as a fighter and not a black fighter. Yeah. You know, not saying that I didn't value being black, I didn't value my impact, but I knew that I was more than just being a black fighter. You know, I was more, I, I, I wasn't good just because I was athletic. Right, right, you know right, what right, I'm right. saying? Like, I know a lot of times that. You know, you listen to the commentary back in the day. They're like, oh, you know, he's athletic. and it's the, Explosive. Yeah, it's, it's these terms that we use for black athletes and white athletes that are kind of, you know, uh, racially coloring without even, even doing it. But it's just a societal thing, you know. And, you know, now I feel like we've grown enough in a sport where it's beyond that. Fighters are looked at for their skill level. And, you know, if they're athletic, they're athletic, you know. But they're not, they're not only good because they're black, because they're athletic. Right, fair enough. Um, when you look back on your career and you look at the move from Jackson's to uh, South Florida, basically, yeah. um, could you, in your own words, put into context just how, how much did your life change by virtue of that? It was, it was a biggest change in my life. And, I, and I'll say that because, you know, um, I was going through a divorce at the time with during with, the move during, from one to the other. Move. Yeah, so well, it was like brutal. I Jesus. broke up with the Jacksons team, and then my best friend, who was my wife, we were, we were split up, and I was just like in this place of like broke up with John Jones too. Broke, yeah, broke up with John <laughs> Jones, you know, and it was it was a, a it was a very very tough time in my life. So that transition was a very it was a very tough transition, and I didn't I don't feel like looking back, like I gave myself enough time to, to feel, you know, and, and it was something that for me, I didn't feel the effects of that so viscerally until I had time, like when I hurt my knee and then life caught up to me, you know, all the things that I just kind of stayed busy to forget. Now it started to catch up to me. And then that's when, you know, things started to become remarkably harder in my life and in then the turn and fighting still though the move to south florida i feel like i don't know it was an interesting pivot at the time and yeah I, what do you think your what do you think the legacy of your move down here has been you know with my legacy you know i've i've created such a great thing here with with these athletes you know i've i've, I've given birth to a lot of people's careers you know um you know, you can go down the, the list of the fighters who are in that Black Zillion camp. You know, you had, you had, you know, Tyrone Spung, uh, Anthony Johnson, Michael Johnson, Kamaru Usman, you know, Vitor Belfort, Alistair Overeem, Gilbert, Gilbert Burns. Um, it was... Did Mitrione ever come down there? Mitrione. Yeah. Meathead, know, right? Meathead, Meathead. It was, there's so many, there's so many, I'm, I'm forgetting. You know, Rumble? We, 
Huh? Rumble? He said Rumble. He, yeah. He said uh, um, Mario Sperry. You know, we've had Kenny Monday. We've had so many Mike Van Arza. We had so many, so many great coaches and athletes that came. Henry Hoof got his birth there, came with Tyrone Spunk, ended up now being coach of the year. Now he's run, runs one of the best camps in the world. And all that came because I decided to move in Florida. And I came here with the intent to just say, you know what, I'm done with super camps. I don't even want a super camp. Don't talk to me about a super camp. And I end up making a super. And you built another one. And yeah. then you joined another one. And then you know, and you're still around. I mean, look, seriously, what does it mean? Because the build up to Kamaru Usman's third fight with Leon Edwards, where he didn't do a lot of media, but then talked ahead of the fight. You know, he he said, I'm built for this to come back and win back my title. He didn't get to he didn't do it, close fight. But he said, because I watched closely the people that I was able to have as mentors. And he was like, he brought it up right away. He's like, Rashad Evans, I got to sit in that learning tree and learn from him. You get that as sort of the uncle now of MMA a lot. Yeah. Like, when you hear a champion say that and give back like that, it's got to make you feel like, man, I added something here, you know? Man, it, 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 uh, it honestly, it makes me emotional. And I, and I get excited when I see these guys do well because it feels like a piece of me gets to go on. Mm. You know, like, I never thought that investment in them would, was really investment in me. You know, like, I invested in them because I really wanted them to to, to have a chance and and get a hand in the sport that, you know, I, I didn't get, you know, and, and I wanted them to really, uh, to live this life and to get a chance to do it and uplift their life and they're doing it. You know, there are some people that I, I tried to help and I wasn't able to do it and you can't, you can't save them all, but the ones that you can, the ones that you, the ones that I've been able to help, it, uh, it, it makes me happy. So when I see Kamaru out there, doing his thing, it made me so happy. And then to see him lose, it was uh, it was kind of, you know, it was very sad for me in the respect that, you know, he was such a product of of what it was that, you know, I built. You know, he, he was part of the gym, but he also lived with me for about five years. For five years? Yeah, he lived with me for about five years, man. And um, it was, uh, you know, he, he, was, he was my brother, you know, he would, you know, I gave him a car, I even, you know, leased a car so he'll have a car to drive and make sure he had everything he needed so he can just have tunnel vision and focus. And, you know, to see him go out there and achieve, it, it really meant that that work wasn't for nothing. And then you have the Glenn Robinson aspect of it, who was the manager. Rest in peace, yeah. Yep, rest in peace, who passed away. And, you know, he, he was another one who did everything he can to for these fighters and for Kamaru Usman. So to see that to see him lose was kind of like, man, this this era is ending, you know? All right, so that's the the, the great stories and the good news when camps go well. When you asked him the question about the move, the move led to a lot of craziness and you and John Jones having one of the most memorable beefs in a build to a fight in the history of the UFC. The ex-teammates turn on each other, now student versus mentor, all that. That also was a lot of trauma in your personal life. Yeah. It also led to this giant pay-per-view fight. Do you look back on that and go, you know, it wasn't the healthiest way, but they had to go that way and I'm happy I was a part of it. Or are you like, man, we never had to break up. I never had to leave that gym. You know, um, I, I'm a big believer in, in the fact that, you know, no regrets in life, even when you do have some, right? You gotta, you just gotta. Jesus, all I have is regrets. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it, it's like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you just look, I just look at the fact that, you know, I'm very happy at where I am. You know, I'm very happy with my life. I'm very happy with, you know, who I am as a person. 
And I couldn't have had that if I didn't have all those other things. And, you know, I wish a part of me, I could have stayed connected with John and, and able to train alongside with him. Because I would say this, I love training with John Jones because it was a challenge for one. But for two, he was he was a fun person to be around. Like like he like after training, we would, you know, we'd fuck around for like an hour, just playing around, doing different moves and, you know, trying to catch him with this and perfecting all the stuff that you see him do. And it was just play. And, you know, I, I would love to see where that relationship could have went. But at the same time, what what I've, you know, the what I've been able to do outside of that, for me. I can't, I can't forego that, you know, for me, that, that was, that was what this was probably all about. Let me, let me ask if I can about John Jones just a little bit, which is, and I want to be very clear here. I am not in any way asking you to bash him or insult him. That's not what I'm about to do, but I am going to say this. He obviously looked amazing against Cyril Gunn, right? Like yeah. he just ran over the guy, but like, you know, during the pandemic, so between the Reyes fight and then the Gunn fight, he got arrested twice once for, he was drunk in his car firing guns off in downtown Albuquerque that was abandoned due to pandemic or whatever. And then later he had the issue with, you know, whatever happened with his wife. And then we saw him headbutting the car. It's like, I don't know, man. Like, do you think he's past his old troubles? And I certainly hope that he is for his sake and his children's sake and everybody else's sake. Like, the best outcome for everyone is a happy and healthy John Jones. And I yeah. truly mean that. But I don't know if that's the one we, we got, man. I don't know. What, what's your read? It's, it's too early to tell. And I say that because, you know, um, success and things like that kind of brings up the worst in him at times, right? So it's too early to tell. But from from when I seen him, the last fight, it was it was almost as if, like, he was a different person in so many respects. The fact that, like, I'd never seen John Jones get his flowers like that from the crowd, from just, you know... Everyone there, they really gave him his flowers. They really gave him his flowers. They really, you know, poured love into him. And he responded. He seemed joyful. He seemed at every very turn. joyful yeah. at every turn, very thankful. And it seemed as if like he wants to be that guy. And him being considered the greatest of all time, not only does it come with the title, but it also comes with expectations. And I feel if he's ready to be the greatest of all time, maybe he's ready to act like the greatest of all time and have his actions start to match, match that title. So hopefully, hopefully, and, 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 I, and I pray that, um, that he does find his way because there, there was times where I would wake up from a dream. I don't know why, but I would, I would sometimes, he would come in my dream sometimes and he would be doing some crazy shit. And then I'll like hit up his manager, Malky. I'm like, hey, is John all right, man? I had this crazy dream about him. Like, I don't know, I'll check on him, you know? But, you know, I, I just want him to do well, man. Well, I'm glad you guys, you know, have talked again and you guys have rebuilt your friendship from everything that went on that led to that fight. But I'm a Rashad super fan and people don't know. What, what UFC was that? Do you know off the top of your head? 140? When you fought John Jones in Atlanta? Yeah. You didn't get finished by John. You went the distance. But you heard him late. There was a moment. There was at the end of round four, I believe. Yeah. Can you t just remind people of what happened there? Well, I, I caught him with a nice overhand punch. And uh, that rocked him. Like, he was he was on ice. But I kind of played around a little bit, got too cute, and he was able to, to, to recover. And then I caught him with a right head kick. And I didn't expect to land it, but he was putting so much pressure on it. I just threw that shit, and it caught him. And he was like, 
he was on ice even worse than he was before. Ooh. So I got too cute again and I let him off the hook, but he, he felt me. He felt me in, in those moments. And it was, uh, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't win the battle, you know, and I, and, and things like that, but I felt as if like, I, I gave him something to think about. And, um, it by any means it wasn't what I wanted to do, but sometimes you got when you get your ass whipped, you got to pull the civil line. Out <laughs> you got to have a moral victory. You gotta, I will tell you, you know what? Tom, you know when I thought the fight, the fight turned against you was when he uh, grabbed your hands and then came over with the elbow. I noticed your reaction after that was different than any other reaction. Bru- that that listen, I can count the times where I actually felt pain in a fight, yeah. and that was one of them. That was one of them. I was like, remember, he had a few fights before crushed Brandon Vera's face with the same his elbow. Elbow, yeah. Well, he came over top and he caught me with the elbow, and it's almost like I pulled myself into it because I'm I'm pushing against his hand, pushing his mind, and then he just pulls his hands away, and I fall right into it, and then, boom, he catches me with that elbow, and I remember feeling like, fuck, did Herb just hit me? Like, did somebody just throw something in his cage and hit me in the eye? Because I'm like, I can't see anything right now. And I was dazed and I was dizzy. But I was like, man, what was that? It took me a while to figure out, like, even what was it. Yeah, John really was that good. Yeah, he really, really was that good. But just the competitor in you, when we talk about, like, the big moments that didn't go right, and I like that we can laugh about a couple losses you had at the end. But, you know, you hurt John and it almost happened. Do you still think about the Machida fight? I mean, is, I yeah, mean they'll, they'll of still course. meme you no, in a cruel no. way, which yeah. I don't appreciate with the <laughs> eyeballs. In fairness, they meme, they meme everyone. They <laughs> you meme everyone. Go, welcome to the Machida era. Do you, yeah. Does the competitor in you still go like, damn? Yeah, man. in fairness, that blew up in Joe Rogan's face too, right? Because yeah. it's like the Machida era, and then yeah. there is no Machida era. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, that fight does bother me a bit, and it bothers me because I felt like, like, I know, like, sometimes you go in a cage with somebody and you're just like, okay, that person's better than me. Like, he, he was better than me, you know? But I, I felt as if, like, I could have beat, I could have beat that guy. And, and he, what, what Machida did early is that he rattled me early. He's so smart. He's such a smart fighter, and I just didn't anticipate what he was going to do. He threw a head kick as hard as he can, knowing I was going to block it. But I felt it. I felt it. Even though I blocked it, I felt it. And my thinking was like, holy shit, if he hits me with that kick, I am cooked. <laughs> so after that, it made me like kind of rush my technique and kind of get out of my rhythm and get out of my time. And, and after that, I was... But he changes speeds, too. He changes speeds. Yeah, he's, he was a clever, clever Also, he's like guy. light touch, light touch, light touch, yep. hard touch. Gone. Right. Yeah, it, it, was, uh, it was bad. And, and the thing was, like I remember in that fight outside of the kick, he like tripped me down and I fell down and I got up and I'm like, what's going on? Like, <laughs> is this dude not understanding? I'm the champion? Yeah. Like, what's going on here? So I was kind of embarrassed in first round and then second round, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna put I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put some heat on his ass. And then that's when I got caught. Yeah. Well, you were part of that incredible run of light heavyweight legends that all traded the belt to each other and then yeah. John came in and took over. But I mean, your resume, it holds up. You were a pay-per-view star at times. You beat Dan Hendo. You were, you beat you were Michael a coach Bisping. on the highest rated season of the Ultimate Fighter ever. You beat Tito Ortiz. People forget, man, you beat Keith Jardine on the Ultimate Fighter. Man, that fight yeah. was a war. Hold on. You didn't just war. beat Tito Ortiz. You, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you had the draw the first time. Yeah. And then you beat the fuck out of him the second time. The second time, time. Yeah. yeah. But is, how much do you lament? In 2013, when you beat Chael, 
before the knee injury, it yeah. did look like there was one more big run in you. It really oh, did. Man, really no, did. no, that that and your was, physique too. Yeah. Also, I remember you. Uh, Bernard Hopkins had done yeah. a sit down with you, or like was giving you some pointers. And I was looking at Rashad's physique. I was like. Holy shit, my man's been in the weight room. Yeah, yeah the high abs, not just the regular ones, but yeah, like the high yeah, abs. Yeah, I had yeah. like the eight pack, maybe almost a 10 pack. But that was Mike Van Arsdale. Mike Van Arsdale. The man. Then me up. He, he really built me up. And it was that stretch that I was off because I was waiting to fight Shogun. You know, uh, which Dana said Shogun, not to do. Not I remember do. that yep. vividly. He told me not to wait. And I was waiting and waiting. But all the time I was waiting, I was just lifting weights. And I never really committed myself to a weight program before then. So I, my body started to change and I kind of step kept with it. But in 2013, after I kind of started to get my rhythm back, you know, I had that stinker fight against uh, uh, Noguera and then I beat Hendo and then I beat Chael. But I was picking up rhythm. I was training with Mark Henry. I was starting to understand the game more. I started to become more of a student of the game and really started to um, like feel myself. You know, I was strong. I was, I was like one of the top guys in the weight class, and I felt like it. And uh, when that knee injury happened, I was going to whoop DC's ass. DC, I was going to whoop <laughs> your... That was the fight that was next. Do you remember that? I yeah, I was going to fight that. DC. I was training training camp for DC, and uh, I was in the best shape ever, man. I was in the best shape. I felt the best I ever felt. And uh, I was going with Caesar, uh, Caesar Ferreira, Mutanchi. Yeah, Mutanchi, yeah. And, uh, you know... Uh, he's big as a house, man. And he went down on my knee. Last, It was like the last drill of my camp, and I blew it. Unbelievable. What do you make of, because you, I mean, you won such an early Ultimate Fighter season. You were a champion just as things were really picking up. And then you stayed, a, you know, a high-level fighter and a big name for a long time. Now you're a broadcaster. How much has this game, specifically in the UFC, Change like what blows you away when you see it now, whether it's ESPN deal or any elements of the fight game that you're like, man, people don't know about 2005 and six, you know? Man, well, I'm blown away by the fighters' evolution first and foremost. Crazy. It's crazy, you know. Um, you see it with the guys, but I'm I'm more at awe at the women's evolution. The women's evolution in the sport game, it's it's ridiculous to me because it didn't seem like that long ago where they just weren't that good. Like they were, you know, not Dude, really. You know. When 2013, even back then. Women were fighting catchweight fights. Yeah, there right. Was, yeah, you know, it was like 175 for whatever you know reason. And now, to your point, like, dude, the wrestling has gotten like oh, Aaron Blanchfield. Man, they, we, we did we had a an interview with Aaron Blanchfield. Like, she, you just that that she didn't exist ten years ago. Right. Period. Period. Right? I mean, and you're watching their skill level, far as their hands, they're not striking like you don't look at them like wow she's 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 a woman like she's like she's a fighter you know they you you look at them like they're on par a lot of times with the guys and some of their techniques so that was one evolution that i like but you know one thing that i'm just kind of at awe at and and i get surprised at every single time i go somewhere is just the popularity of the sport it has just blown me away because when i was in the game i had to like tell people what I would do and they'll look at me like what was that you know they look at me you know when I told my mom I was going to be an MMA fighter she said Rashad your ass gonna end up in jail Rashad and I'm like mom it's legal now it's legal like it's, it's not that I get, kind I get of paid to do this yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean it, it's came it's come such a long way that you know the popularity has blown me away and um you know I don't even know what to make of this whole like 
partnership with the WWE. Where's where, where it going to go to next? $21 billion between the two of them. Twenty-one. Can you imagine? $21 billion? It's hard to even fathom what that is. Yeah. But That's I, more than a lot of countries. Guys. I, I want to go back a little bit if I can, because I, I guess I've never had clarity on this one, so maybe you can finally help me. In terms of your participation, what were the happiest days at Jackson MMA? The happiest days was when I first got the Jackson's gym. What year is and this? It was 2005, and uh, I was going down there after the Ultimate Fighter show because on the show, even though I fought Keith Sardine, he was my coach. He was on my team, and he will show me all the technique I didn't really know. And Because um, I, I came from a really small club in Lansing, Michigan, where I had this one guy who would train me. He was like my age. We watched videos. I watched Mario Speria videos to learn jujitsu. So um, he would teach me everything. And afterwards, he's like, come to Jackson's gym, and we would go – on like the most amazing epic training journeys. Like Greg Jackson has got to be one of the sickest trainers in the world. Like his mentality was unbelievable. Like you're in the battlefield. Like, like, you're, like you're, is- you're in a battlefield, you were at war. He would tell us and talk to us about like, okay, you know this feeling, this is about death. This is about seeking seeking death, find that place, find that place. You know, and he was like really into the whole samurai mentality and, you know, the book of five rings and- Probably we'll, Dungeons and Dragons as a kid. <laughs> Fucking nerd. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, would, he would have us run the Sandia Mountains, which is probably like 11,000, 12,000 feet up in the air. And um, we would do these uh, wedding carries where we had to carry each other like this every 60 steps we, we switched. That was after we did sprints on the stairs for about uh, 49 times. And it was just, it, it was the most unbelievable training that we that I ever done, but it was all about mental. And then during that time, he would just beat it in your mind like, hey, no man is gonna be harder than this mountain. No man is gonna be harder than this training. And um, he was really into the sport. He was really into us. He, you know, he would come and pick us up and drive us to training. You know, that's how into it he was. Did you sleep in the gym? Like, like the like all the stories we see. The- like Ali, <laughs> I slept in the gym. I slept in the gym. Ali was my roommate. Ali Abdelaziz was my. Roommate. That was your roommate. He was my roommate. Wait, he was wow. an inspiring fighter. Yeah. Were you there at the same time? Uh, Safe Saud was there. Yep. yep. I was there. Safe. I was Safe's coach. I coached wow. him a few times. Yep. Uh, Cowboy was there. Uh, Michelle Waterson lived with us upstairs. Diego there at that time? Diego was there too, but he was kind of making that, he was kind of hitting that popularity. Right. And he was Ultimate Fighter 1. That's Ultimate right. Ultimate Fighter yep. 1, yep. So at the time where he was during a hiatus, GSP started to come in. I brought GSP into the gym. Wow. And, uh, and, how, and and do you have a GSP impression? I know you do impre- You do a great impression. My God, my friend Rashad, if you see what I do last night, you would not talk to me. Top of the neck, the colors. It's a little Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Get to the chop of my friend. How many times did your car get stolen in Albuquerque? That's really the big question. <laughs> I um I rented this car from this uh, bail bondsman. <laughs> That's the most Albuquerque story to start. So I had this car I rented from a bail bondsman. Bail bondsman. It was an old police car. So wait, 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 wait. With like the lights, the and lights shit? and everything. Yeah. So I would drive around the neighborhood and I would turn the police lights on, shaking people down, man. Just kind of like turn the lights off, messing with them and shit. All right, Luke, I got to ask you about history here because yeah. All right. in the hierarchy of brother combinations in MMA history, it's like Nogueras, Diaz's, Hughes's, you know, and you got all the Limas. And don't forget about Herbert Burns, too. And then there's the Lozans and the Dawkuses. What do we do with Hall of Famer Sugar Rashad Evans 
and his brother Lance. Uh, Don't forget that he did time in this game. Yeah. Okay, the Ultimate yeah. Fighter, yeah. Lance Evans. All right. Yeah. There's some. There's there's a brother combo. Yeah. There's it's a like Aaron and Tommy. It's a, little, Aaron it's, a little, it's a little more Matt and Mark Hughes. Remember Mark Hughes? <laughs> yeah. 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 Lance, Lance is. Uh, How's he doing? He's doing. He's doing good. Lance is doing good. He's a. Um, he works on a railroad. He's a. He's a conductor. Dude, that's a great. Yeah. I, I know a guy who does that. He loves that yeah, job. Yeah. He, he's a conductor, but I got Lance Jr. And Lance Jr. lives with me right now, and he's a little badass man. Do you want to be a fighter? Or he is oh, a fighter. he is a fighter. He's training. How old is he? He's uh, 22. Ooh. No, 20, 21 years old. And Oomph was, was a Hall of Famer. This is going to yeah, be interesting so here. He's, he's, um, he's coming along. I'm beating the hell out of him every day like he needs to get a nice little knock on the head. <laughs> but it's for his own good. You're like, you know? Lance Jr., today you'll be sparring Andre Orlovsky, <laughs> yeah. okay? You know, we'll find out how much you really yeah. want this. Right? But I mean, Lance Jr. is uh, he's a monster, man. He's a monster. He's coming up in the ranks, and uh, he's, he's hungry for it. He's, got a, he's, he's hungry for it. He's got a good mindset for it, and um, he's got talent. What do, what do you want with this new reconstituted Black Zillions, Jim, you're trying? I mean, on the one hand, it sounds yeah. like, yeah, it'd be nice to... I, I, do you want it to be a super camp? Do you just want to have fun? Do you just want to take care of these individual guys? What's the goal here? Um, I just want to have fun. And, and I feel like, you know, fun is the basis for building anything great. And, and it's, everything is a lot uh, easier to do once you're having fun doing it. So um, fun is the main, the main reason. But, you know, I want to be able to... To, to see if I can do it again. I want to see if I can build up another camp and have, you know, other people have great careers from what I'm able you, to As head up. trainer, as sort of leader? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the head trainer, head leader. I love this. Yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm, in, I'm, I'm so busy right now that I'm in there probably like two to three times a week uh, if I'm lucky. But uh, I'm trying to thin my schedule out a little bit more so I'll be able to dedicate more time to these fighters. But... I love the fight game. I, I I love the fight game, but I love coaching. I love coaching. I love being there talking shit to them and being like, you know, just getting in their minds and really un letting them understand what this game is about. See, a lot of these fighters, they want to get into this game and they, they want to be, you know, they want to have, they want to be the movie star. They want to be, you know, like it's, like it's all glamorous and, you know, red popular. Carpet. Yeah, the red carpet. I'm like, no, nah, fuck that. This is a game about suffering. This is a game about you being out, be, uh, being able to outsuffer who is ever in front of you. And can you do that? And I'm going to see if you can do that because that's what training is about. I'm going to make you suffer. I'm going to make you say, you know what, maybe there's an easier way for me to live. And if you're still around, then maybe you can, maybe you're ready. But that's the place where I like to coach from. And that's where I believe that you have these young fighters, you got to bring them up into that mindset because it's all what's going on between the years. All right, what, what your coaching voice that you now instill in others, is there some Greg Jackson in there? Is there some Trevor Whitman in there? Like, what are the voices that make up that? You know, it, it's a, a lot of Greg Jackson, um, uh, definitely some Trevor Whitman, but a whole lot of Mike Van Arsdale. Mike Van Arsdale. People don't know about Mike Van Arsdale. Oh, Mike Van Arsdale. Mike Van Arsdale was probably he was he was he was one of the first MMA fighters I remember looking at, being like, that dude is impressively muscular. yeah impressively and, and and mike was i've had some great coaches you know mike winklejohn greg jackson uh mario sperry so many great coaches too many to name um but mike van arzel stands out because we had a close relationship and as an athlete sometimes you find yourself fighting for 
a coach, meaning I can lose, but if I lose in front of him, it just makes me feel that much bad because I know how much coach believes in me. You know, I don't want to let coach down. So I always fought harder when I had Mike Van Arzale in the corner. And I also felt as if like nothing can go wrong because I had Mike Van Arzale mm-hmm. in the coach because he's always, he's always built me up. But Mike would have me training, right? And I'm on the aerodyne, I'm busting, I'm grinding, I'm grinding. He'd be like, hey, abs, 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 um, uh, abs, uh, you better keep it from going underneath uh, that rate right now because if you don't, um, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do it all over again. So I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm going all the way, I'm trying to keep it, the RPMs up as hard as I can, and I fail by a little bit. He'd be like, come on, abs, keep it up, we're doing the whole thing all over again. And I do it, do it, do it, and I just barely make it go underneath what he said, and he says, abs, hey, AF, really good job, man. Really good job. You push hard, but guess what? You got to do it again. You're like, look, Miyagi, enough of this bullshit. Right? <laughs> and I'm like, no, what is, I what, can't. What is Mike Van Arsdale up to these days? Uh, he's still coaching. Okay. He's still coaching in, uh, in Arizona. Phoenix, Arizona, he's a coach, and uh, he's got some young kids. He works with high school kids now. He's not doing MMA anymore. Just wrestling, Yeah, which is where he came from. Well, he's... Not not so much wrestling. I'm strength training. Ah, okay. One hell of a strength training. I remember the first. I'll never forget this. I remember the first time I saw him fight live. He fought Couture. Mm. Couture beat him. But I remember when they introduced him. I'm like, Couture might have his hands full. This yeah. fucking guy looks different. Uh, he was he was you know and he was in the early 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 MMA stage. Yeah, he when was. It was NHB and stuff like that. Yep, yep. The people on GHB too probably in those fights check their <laughs> system. Um, quickly here, uh, we could talk to you for hours. We we love having you, Rashad. I mean, you got such great perspective. You fought so many legends in the cage. You were there at the development of John Jones. You eventually fought him. John Jones probably the greatest fighter of all time. But to me, the greatest fighter I've ever seen for a minute, and in this case, one year. It happened in 2013. And it was a man named Mohawked Vitor Belfort. During that time when he was superhuman, did you spar? Did I mean, were you in there sparring with him? Oh, I mean, yeah. Please tell oh, me. Yeah. No. Oh, Glorify my obsession with this mythological figure. How nasty was the same guy who spin kicked Luke Rockhold I remember dead? That. Michael Bisping out. Dan Henderson gone. Tell me about that guy. Oh, my gosh. Vitor at that time was a, a, a fucking monster. In every single sense of the word, TRT you know, was legal back then. Yo, know, he I'm, I'm he would aware. he would come into training and he would he was sponsored by this uh, telecommunications out in Brazil and he'd be fully geared up in in the whole gear and he'd come there and he'd just like take heads. And here's the thing about Vitor: Vitor would be like, "Hey, Hashadai, uh, my neck is is kind of a little sore a little bit. Can we go easy?" I'm like, "All right, cool." We start going, "Bow!" <laughs> Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, Vitor was that dude. Like, he was taking heads and training. So uh, the, the guys I've noticed who always get, like, the like the, he had boxing trunks, for example. I don't know if you saw his fight this past yeah. week. He has, like, Jesus written across it. I'm like, always those guys. Yo, always the Jesus yeah. guys, they will hurt you so bad. He will hurt you so bad. And he used, to, he used to whoop ass in practice. Like, honestly, like, he used to beat the dog shit out of Cesar Mutanche. And and like that was his understudy, right? That was, that was understudy, his guy. yeah. But I, I mean, like, in order to get that opportunity, you had to train with Vitor. You know, he had, he had Paula Costa too. The first time I met Paula Costa was with Vitor Belfort on the Ultimate Fighter when he came and uh, was working with him. So I mean, Vitor Vitor was that guy. He was that guy, and he always had like some really badass underling, you know, 
uh, apprentice waiting to come in his shoes. You know, uh, Gregory Rodriguez. Robocop. Yes. Robocop. He was one of Vitor's guys. We saw him yesterday. Yeah, I ended, I ended up stealing uh, Gregory from, from Vitor and had him as my training partner. But, you know, Vitor back in those days was was one of the, like, an, an animal. Him and, him and Anthony Johnson. Oh, God. In the were, same gym. Just rest, in, rest, rest in peace. Listen, rest in peace. I've never seen somebody knock out more people in a gym training than Anthony well, Johnson. you did right by never fighting both of those guys. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, in practice, you probably got a, got a, 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 way too a much lot of practice. that. Yeah. Oh, Rashad's great. Right? Yeah, I got to say, Rashad, here's the one like connecting thread with your life in the sport is that it feels like, like we all have successes, we all have failures, we all make mistakes. But it does feel like to me, because I'm the same age as you and I've watched every one of your fights, quite well, except for the ones that you can't find, but um, you have continuously made the sport better. As a participant, as an analyst, as a coach, as a mentor, at every stage and at every version of yourself, high or low, as a drug advocate. Uh, but you know what I mean? In all seriousness, yeah. dude, I really feel like you've made the sport better and we're, we're luckier for it. Thank you. I appreciate that. And that's what, when people say, what is your legacy? What do you want to be remembered for? And it's just precisely that, man. That, that's all I really want because that to me, what you said means, means more to me than anything because I know that um, all the hard work and the heart that I put into it was worth it. And if they ever remake Marked for Death with Steven Seagal, you could play one of the Screwface brothers. I love this look, screw man. Screwface. Me, no, 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 Screwface. Hey, how many times did you make a straight-to-DVD movie? Oh, like about <laughs> eight. <laughs> and I died in every one of them. We got to do MK Movie Review on a few. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. We'll do that next time. We'll do that next time. All right. Uh, Room Service Diaries is in the books. The Hall of Famer, Rashad One of my, one of my favorite episodes already, um, dude. We're going to see you on the ESPN desk on more UFC cards in the future. Anything else you want to get out there? I mean, you're always, um, you always well, got something on the burner. I mean, know? just go, and go to getumble.com and check out some of my line of functional mushrooms. Not the kind that's going to get you silly. Hey, we, we should talk after the show. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I won't believe it until I have samples Yeah, in front so of it's me, functional right? mushrooms like lion's mane, cordyceps, reishi, turkey tail, all the beneficial ones that help out your... Uh, neurological body and help you out mentally, physically, and your clarity. He's a credit to the sport and credit to our team when he joins us here. Can we get him outfitted in more merch, RJ, please? Can we get on that? It's Sugar Rashad Evans, Luke Thomas, Brian Campbell. South Florida's been great. See you on the couch next time.